You can have a seat. Sorry to cut off the good conversation that's happening, but we can keep that going uh, after the service. Uh, it is great to be here this Sunday. It was great to see snow on the hills. Um, for me, who grew up where it snowed all the time, it's great that I can see it a few miles away and I don't have to touch it. I don't have to brush it off my car. I don't have to kick it off my shoes. Uh, yeah, there's a little PTSD there with the snow. I'll get over it eventually. <laughs> it's great to have you here. It's great for all of you joining us online. This is an exciting Sunday uh, to be here and to, to watch two, two uh, people uh, get baptized and, and proclaim their faith in Jesus. And uh, we want to continue on our discipleship pathway, um, which is our, our series that we're talking about. What does it mean to take steps to be on mission, to be a disciple of Jesus? Last week, I kind of uh, took this tact of, of deconstructing some things, um, and uh, it reminded me, uh, the word picture that came to mind is in 2005, I took a group of high school students down to um, the, uh, the, the Gulf to do some Hurricane Katrina uh, relief work, and I had this group of three or four high school boys who, when we told them what their project for this one day was, they were so excited, we're like, we're literally just going to demo this house. We're going to smash stuff. And they loved it. I mean, they like anything that they could to throw through a window, they were doing it. They were just like, one guy got to drive one of those bobcats and treat it like a mini bulldozer. And he bent one of the teeth. And then we had to pay for that. That was not cool. Um, and they just had the time of their lives just smashing things, just knock it down all the way. And then afterwards, we went and had dinner with the guy who, um, who his house we demoed. And he was a chef and he made this, this most amazing dinner, but we get to have it in his new house. And they were like, oh, we didn't know there was a new house. They were just like, they got so obsessed with the smashing that they forgot about it. The smashing doesn't help. He needs a new house. He needs a new place to be, right? And so as we, we talk about this, the, the word picture came to mind, like it doesn't help us just to smash down on things. It doesn't help us just to deconstruct things, though that's important. I do think that's important for us to do. What gets built in its place? That is the question that I want to talk about today. And then how do we live into that? So last week, I kind of deconstructed this idea of evangelism and, and maybe some of the ways that we've seen it done in the past that, that don't feel helpful anymore. Instead of just beating ourselves up for that, let's talk about well, where do we go from here? What do we build up in its place? And I would like to propose a cumbersome phrase, um, and it's not one I would use all the time, but it's what I would describe the way the Bible talks about how we represent Jesus to the world around us. And it's this phrase, gospel witness. Gospel witness. I like this better than the word evangelism because gospel witness describes a little bit more fully what the New Testament says Jesus' followers will do. Gospel is this word that uh, it just means good news. We have good news, and that good news is about Jesus Christ. We bring good news of Jesus, and we bear witness to the story, the story that's ongoing, the ongoing work of Jesus to reconcile all things to God through his life, his death, his resurrection, and one other Bible word, ascension. Okay, this is an important word. The ascension is when Jesus ascended to heaven because that meant he was going to sit at the right hand of God the Father, ruling and reigning over all things. He is currently sovereign Lord over all things. We as disciples of Jesus, if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, that's what we do. We are gospel witnesses. We bear witness to the life, death, resurrection, and rule of the Lord Jesus. Now, before we get into some of the ways that might take shape in our life, I want to start with, with something a little more simple 
Uh, I want to start with something that's maybe a little bit of a heart check. It's been a heart check for me in the past. I know we talked about it a lot this week. If you were a part of our youth ministry or if, uh, uh, if you're uh, a part of the, the Wednesday night Bible study. But this is a passage that helps us to check our hearts in relationship with God. Because I think it's important that we start here. This is in Luke 18. And uh, this is Jesus. Jesus liked to tell parables. He liked to tell stories to illustrate points so that we would understand what God's heart is. Okay, so this is Jesus telling a story. Uh, Luke starts out by saying this, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up at heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, because all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I love this passage, because it reminds me of the posture of a witness, the posture of a disciple of Jesus is one of humility. This is uh, so important that we understand that humility is so key to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If there's one prerequisite, if there's one defining characteristic of those who call themselves followers of Jesus, it's this one, it's humility. Now, this, this passage takes on some really deep meaning because in, in Jesus' time, Pharisees were the good guys. They were the religious leaders who were of the people. They were the popular religious leaders who were trying to actually help people follow, Jesus, follow God faithfully. They were trying to make the law applicable to their lives. The problem is they often butted heads with Jesus because even though they agreed on most things, they disagreed on some serious things and there was some clashes between the Pharisees and Jesus. But when Jesus is telling the parable, in their culture, they're the good guys. And the tax collectors are the worst of the worst. Now, if you're an IRS person in here, where this is no judgment on you, okay? It's, it's, it's this very difficult thing that the people of, of, God, of God's people, Israel, were dealing with. Tax collectors, people from Israelite faith and background, were hired by the Roman Empire to collect taxes. And oftentimes they did this in a way that was unfair. They took more than was required by Rome so that they could line their own pockets. When they say tax collectors, they mean traitor of traitors, worst of the worst, right? So Jesus is saying in this parable, and it's so important that we understand this, the good guy in the story at the time was the one who trusted in his own goodness. He trusted in his own list of, look, I give a tenth of all I have. I do all I'm supposed to do. I'm a good guy. Look at how righteous I am. And the guy that would have been immediately identified as the bad guy in the story is the tax collector who says, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. And Jesus says it's the tax collector that went home right with God because he understood the bigger picture. He understood who he was, a sinner in need of God's grace. This is so important. A prerequisite to following Jesus is recognizing that we are sinners in need of God's grace. 
In Mark, Jesus started preaching the gospel by saying this, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Our first actions upon encountering Jesus are repentance and belief. What does this mean to repent? It means we recognize we're on the wrong path, a path that's not leading us towards God. It's ultimately leading us towards destruction. And repentance is then to turn around and get on the right path that leads us toward God. And Jesus showed us what that path looked like in the Gospels. To repent is to confess that on our own we are lost, we are wandering. To to repent is to confess that we need Jesus to find us, to turn us around, and to show us the way to God. To be one who believes in good news is to be one who has humility enough to say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was dead but now I'm alive because of Jesus. Humility. Can't emphasize this enough. This is, this is the first thing we should be striving after as followers of Jesus is this posture of humility. Too often, others are pushed away from the church because they've, they've encountered condemnation and judgment. And, and I understand when people experience that why they don't see Jesus' good news as good news because they've encountered a stiff arm instead of a welcome. Somehow, those of us who've said we're followers of Jesus take the posture of the Pharisee and say, thank you that you made me good again, Lord. Thank you that you made me good. Not like those other people. (laughs) Or somehow we have this posture that, hey, your sin is somehow worse than mine. God doesn't like you as much as he likes me. Like we, we, we've, too many people have encountered that in church. I've encountered that in church myself. But it's really important that we know we're all in the same boat. Tax collector, Pharisee, pastor, whatever. Instead of judging others who are in the same boat that we were once in, we welcome and say, come on. We were once on the wrong path. And now we're trying the best we can to follow Jesus on that path that leads to life, that leads to God. One of my favorite theologians is a missionary named Leslie Newbigin. And he said this, the church is not an organization of spiritual giants. It is, a, it is broken men and women who can lead others to the cross. I love that. I love that. So before we get into how do we bear witness to Jesus, let's just remember that our posture always needs to be that of humility. That is the posture of a disciple of Christ. The next thing a, a disciple of Jesus does, a, a gospel witness does, is a gospel witness lives the story. Live as someone who has repented. The gospel transforms and brings about new life. The Apostle Paul called it this. He called it fruit of the Spirit. Things that once seemed impossible are now doable. And he says this in in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is a fancy word for patience, Um, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And notice that these are communal words. These are not words about individuals. It's not saying love yourself, be patient with yourself, be faithful to yourself. No, these are community words. Love each other. Be patient with each other. Be kind to each other. And on and on it goes. And this is a big part that I want to help us reconstruct because I think some of the ways that uh, our past evangelism strategies have maybe not gotten the whole picture. It definitely gets a part of the picture. Don't get me wrong. But one of the ways that maybe it doesn't give us the whole picture uh, is in this idea of individualism. 
Because the story of the Bible, if you read it cover to cover, is not the story about how sin has messed up the world and God is plucking individual souls for eternity to be set aside for a later date. Certainly, we, we do want to see how our individual lives get caught up in the bigger story, but that's not the story that the Bible paints. The Bible tells a story of a world that is broken by sin and God is remaking the world and he has called a community, a people. He has called his church to give a glimpse and it's an, it's, it's an incomplete, imperfect glimpse because we still mess things up. So I want to acknowledge that. It's not perfect. But this is what we're called to. We're called to give a glimpse to demonstrate God's new world. To demonstrate what his kingdom is like, we're called to point to that future hope by living as much as we can as if it's the reality here and now. And we do that in community. By asking for the Holy Spirit to empower, empower us to treat others with things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what it looks like to live the story. It's not just being a good person who behaves by not committing all the big sins in the Bible. You know, that's what I thought Christianity was before I really encountered Jesus. I thought it was just avoiding breaking the Ten Commandments. And I remember thinking along the way, like, I hope it's more than that. Because I think I can get through this life without murdering somebody. Most people do. I think I could do that, right? It's not just about avoiding sin and breaking God's law. Transformation is about so much more. It's about being empowered to do good, to speak life into others, to be a lifeline for those who are hurting and lost. We are people who recognize that we were once lost and God didn't give up on us so we don't give up on each other. We are people who see the brokenness of this world instead of sitting back and watching it burn and say, well, thank God rescued me from all that. We say, thank God that he is reconciling and healing me. What else is he reconciling and healing around me? I've been a part of the problem. My sin has contributed to the problem. How can I be a part of the solution? There are all sorts of great ways that we can do this. And, and I believe they happen primarily in community, okay? And when we do that at FCC, we, we have these things that we call our strategic focus. Four things that as we read through the scripture, the elders read through the scriptures and said, what are the things that God calls his gathered people to do? What are they supposed to be about? And after Easter, we're going to do a full sermon series so we can take a deeper dive into these things. But I just wanted to point them out to us. You see them on our website. You hear about them probably often. But we read through the scriptures and we saw four common themes. And the first one is we're called to be a loving community. We are to care for one another. Okay? And that's not just the pastor's job. That's all of our job. We are committed to one another. We're called to authentic worship. We're to honor God. We're to be reminded of what's true. We're to remind each other of what's true. And we're to do that with honesty in a way that we can understand it. We're, we're called to radical discipleship. We invest in one another's lives. We, we, we're able to answer the questions, who am I mentoring? And who is mentoring me? That's discipleship. And then the last one, dangerous justice and mercy. And I know some of you guys don't like that word dangerous, but I like that word because it means it's going to cost us something. It can't come just because we gave a little money here or there. We invest ourselves into seeing the brokenness around us and saying, we got to do something about that. And it does. It often costs us something. 
It's not easy. It won't be comfortable. Justice is about seeing God's way happen, taking place of the brokenness that we see and bringing righteousness into the situation. We step towards brokenness and we take part in God's reconciliation work. And one of the ways that we've committed to be a part of that as a church is through a ministry called Foster the City. And I want to tell you about it because we've got an information meeting coming up on March 7th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. I'm going to be there. I encourage you to join me. Um, and by going there, you're just getting information. So you're not committing to anything, but come and check it out. We have uh, currently two foster families who are a part of FCC, uh, a part of our church family, and, and another that is going through the steps to become uh, a foster family. And this is such an incredible ministry. And, and I would encourage you, maybe this is something that God is tapping you on the shoulder with right now, that, that maybe you're an empty nester and you're going, well, what do we do now? We've got this house. What do we do with this house? And it's definitely a high calling, and we don't take that lightly. We're not saying, yeah, just open up your home, right? But, but what God might do through that. There's also the need for support families. For every foster family in our church, we want to raise up a handful of families to be there to support them with, with tangible needs, with financial needs, with just time, um, partnering with them as they go into this journey of fostering. You know, just this week, uh, Christine Gabretson told me about a six-year-old and a 14-year-old who just entered the foster care system, and, and who's going who's gonna to be there for them? Who's going who's gonna to step up, right? So, this is an incredible way of us doing that, uh, and I would encourage you to join me at that March 7th meeting. I'm going to learn what it means to be a support family and, and uh, be there for the families in our church. But, but the reason I bring this up is because it's coming up, but it's really important because what kind of gospel witness is it when somebody says, I will take someone into my home? What a better way to speak of the reconciliation work that God is doing. You know, I come from a broken family and have found such community within the church. And this idea of foster care within our church, says this. It says, broken families are not the end of the story. New families are formed, and it's not just in single homes. It's in a church community where we all come together to show a glimpse of the things to come. And it's messy, and it's hard, but we point to the future when all things are made right, when all things are reconciled. So all that to say, join us on March 7th, uh, Christine Ingebretson is going to have a table for Foster the City right outside these doors. Um, so if the Holy Spirit even just tapped you on the shoulder for the slightest second, don't make eye contact with her. Don't avoid her. Don't be like this. <laughs> Go talk to her uh, and she'll let you know more information. But these are the things that God is calling his people to do that we might be a witness, not just as individuals, but as a community. Loving community, authentic worship. Radical discipleship, dangerous justice and mercy. That's what we commit to when we say we're a part of this FCC family. The next thing a gospel witness does, the gospel witness knows God's story. And this does not mean that you know everything about God's story. Let, let me be clear with that. Knowing God's story does not mean that you're an expert in the Bible, that you've never had any doubts of question, or questions of your own. What it means is you understand the bigger picture of the story. I've mentioned this before uh, in a sermon, but one of the, the most 
interesting interactions I ever had was I, I got connected with a, a guy, a missionary and pastor who was in Chicago area. He's from Nepal, and he had he had recognized that there was this huge uh, Nepali. Uh, uh, group of people being resettled as refugees in the city where I was a pastor. And so we became friends. And then he was like, hey, come to this, this little house fellowship thing that we do. Share a meal with us and just hang out, right? So I was like, cool, let's go. So our, the four of us and our family went over there. And we're like, this is awesome. You know, it's such a, like, the hospitality that they welcomed in our house. The food was amazing. And then all of a sudden, Pastor Amos looks at me and goes, Pastor Eric, share the gospel now. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa we didn't talk about this. I wasn't prepared for this, my friend. And I'm like, there's a huge language barrier and there's a huge religious barrier. So not only do we not speak the same language, we don't speak the same religious language. And so how am I gonna even, where do I begin? And so quickly I prayed, God, what do I do? And, <laughs> and, and then the Holy Spirit just kind of said to me, keep it big picture. You don't have to get in the weeds, keep it big picture. And so I said, okay, well, in my tradition, Here's, here's kind of the big story that we believe. We believe that, that God is good and powerful, and in the very beginning, he created this amazing world that we live in. He created everything that we see, and he created us, and all of it, he looked at it, and he said, it is good. God's posture towards us is one of love. The God of our Bible, the God of our tradition, that's who he is first and foremost, but this God also gave us this, this free will, this ability to choose whether we would love him back. And every one of us has rebelled at one point or the other. And so the story goes that, that very early in the Bible narrative, humans rebelled. We, we ran away from God to, to live self-centered lives. We ran away from God to try to be the gods of our own life, to try to take control. And all of a sudden, the world became broken. And I didn't have to tell these refugees about the brokenness of the world. They had experienced it in really heavy ways. I didn't have to get into all that. I just had to say, we're broken. The world is broken. Things are not as they should be. And then, then we see in this Genesis 3 passage, the result of human beings inviting sin into the world are first and foremost a broken relationship with God. We have pushed God away. We have run away from him. Then you also see in Genesis 3 this idea that our relationships with each other are broken. For those of you who have read the passage, you know what is the first thing Adam do when God confronts him? He blames Eve. All of a sudden, the human relationships are just destroyed. There's also this idea that, that our relationships with ourselves are messed up. I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. I struggle in ways that I feel like I should be able to get over and I just can't. I just I keep messing up my own life. And then it also says that our relationship with the rest of creation has been destroyed. And so we see all these natural disasters. We see this, this you know, this, this, the Bible calls it enmity, this, this, this divide between us and the rest of creation. All of that to say things are not the way they should be. And the Bible from Genesis 4 on, starts to tell the story about how God does not give up on his good creation. Through people, he continues to work and to call a people to himself to say, this is what God is like. This is the work that he is doing to make everything right. And then we get to Jesus, the one who lives the perfect human life we were supposed to live. 
The one who has the perfect connection with God that we were meant to have in relationship with him. The one who doesn't sin or rebel. And he gave his life on the cross to forgive us our sins. And he rose from the dead to defeat death. And this is a longer version of what I shared that day because I was trying to keep it as simple as possible. But this is God's story. That God, through Jesus, is reconciling all things. And and I love this picture, this next picture, if we can put it up here. This is what happens through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Revelation 21 gives us a picture that everything that was broken in Genesis 3 because of our sin is reconciled, it's made right, it's made whole again. Our relationship with God is healed and we have peace with God for all eternity. Our relationships with each other are healed. Our relationship with ourselves, all that brokenness that's in here, it's gone away and God isn't gonna destroy the earth. This, this, this isn't a lost cause planet we're on. He's gonna recreate it and make all things new and our relationship with creation will be as it was in the beginning. All things are being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. This is the story of the Bible. It all culminates with Jesus. God through Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. Now, it may take a little time to learn a spiel like that, but I don't encourage you to learn a spiel like that. I I encourage you to put that stuff in your own words, to read the Bible, to try to understand what God is doing. But that's the story that we tell. And it starts with a God who created from a posture of love. And he loves his creation. He called it good. And he's not going to stop until all things are healed and reconciled and made right. And that is good news. So you may be asking yourself right now, well, yeah, but what if I don't know much about the Bible? Well, I'm going to just punt that question to Pastor Matt. He's going to teach us that next week. Um, But here's the reality is that I promise you after next week, you're going to say, oh, I can actually participate in sharing God's story. Even, even me, who's brand new to the Bible, I can actually participate in this. As you go through discipleship pathway, as you regularly fast and pray for the people that God has placed in your life, as you're living as a missionary, you're getting to understand your context and learning people and listening to their stories, you're seeing what God is doing there. You're being present and you're building real relationships. Here's what you're going to notice. I love this diagram that I'm going to put up here next. You're going to notice your conversations going from casual to meaningful. And then if Jesus is the primary, most important thing in your life, those conversations about what's meaningful will eventually become spiritual, right? Because I can't tell my life story without talking about Jesus. In fact, I didn't even mean to do this. I got this tattoo for myself as a reminder. You know how many times I get to talk about Jesus because people ask me about my tattoo? So right after service, we're going to all get tattoos together. Just kidding. Um, But I can't tell my story without it. I can't. And I don't have to push it on anybody. It usually comes up when people ask me questions. But I just notice that the more time I spend, the more time I pray, God, what are you up to in this place? The conversations just naturally move forward from casual to meaningful to spiritual. And then Matt is going to talk to us next week about what a discovery conversation looks like. So a gospel witness knows God's story. And then the last thing I want to say today about this is a gospel witness shares their story. 
And, and I want to say, not just there's their story, but stories. Because I have dozens of stories about the way the gospel has impacted my life. And, and there's not just the day I became a Christian. There's tons of t- times throughout my life where Jesus was so real to me, where he intervened in my life in such a powerful way. And maybe that's the story somebody needs to hear in your life. But be ready to share your stories. How, yes, how you first encountered the gospel, but also the other times that God's reconciliation work has impacted you. Where have you seen healing in your life? Where have you seen relationships that were broken become healed because of Christ? Where have you seen healing in yourself where you were able to walk away from being enslaved to something to being free from something because of the work of Christ? And one of the best things that I encourage people to do is wait for questions. I already mentioned that, but wait for questions. Because a question is an invitation to share your story. A question is an invitation. That's when you know the the soil is ready, so to speak, to use that metaphor, is when the questions start coming. I also would encourage you with this. Be honest with your own questions. I remember when I first started talking about Jesus to other people, I felt the pressure to have all the answers. I felt the pressure to never say the words, I don't know, because if I don't know, then I can't convince them that I do know and they should listen to me. I'm telling you, I don't know are three very powerful words. Be honest with your own doubts, with your own struggles. False certainty actually will shut down a conversation. False certainty will shut down a conversation. And then the last thing is, I want to share just a tip on how we share God's story is, ask good questions. I often don't say, well, here, let me tell you what God wants to do in your life. I ask questions. When somebody's sharing a difficult circumstance uh, with me, I would say, hey, if there is a God, what do you think he thinks about this situation? What do you think he might want for you as you process all this? And here's a powerful question you can ask people. Can I pray for you? Not later, right now. (laughs) I know that's a bold step for some of us, but can I pray for you? That is a powerful question to ask. And I, if somebody says no, I promise you it'll be the rare thing if somebody says no. Because most people believe in something spiritual. And most people understand that we don't pray about the things we don't care about. And so by offering to pray for somebody, you're saying, I care about you. And I want to take this to God with you. Okay. That's a lot of information about what a gospel witness does. And let me just say, if you feel like I'm sending you out there to go do this tomorrow and you're not ready, that's okay, all right? This is a communal thing. This is something we do together, all right? We're going to grow in this over time. Um, But I want us to start taking steps in that direction to really be open with what God has done in our lives and being willing to share that with people when the questions come up. Now, speaking of sharing stories today... We're going to close our service today with the time of worship and of baptism. So today, two people are getting baptized because of the reconciling work of Jesus Christ in their own lives. Andy Siner and Andrew Yanez are going to get baptized today during our service. And uh, these two have encountered Jesus in a way that means their lives will never be the same. They were headed in one direction, and then Jesus came into their lives and put them on a different path. 
the path that leads to God and to life. If you read about the expressions of the early church, especially in the book of Acts, you'll, you'll see that baptism meant two important things. First, it meant this individual person was pledging allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord. To, to, to call yourself a follower of Jesus in the early church was to do something illegal. It was illegal to be a Christian. And so when it, in the early church, when somebody said, yeah, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, they kind of put a target on their back. But they felt it was necessary to say, Jesus is the first and foremost thing in my life. And, and, and nothing else comes a close second. They're pledging allegiance to Jesus and saying, he is the priority of my life from this point forward. The other thing that happens, and I don't want us to miss this today because it's important for all of us, is they saw it as an initiation into the family of God. Yes, it's about individual between me and God, but it's also about us, that we are committed to each other. By getting baptized, they're saying, I am a part of the family. So today, Andy and Andrew, they declare before us and God that Jesus is the Lord of their lives. He's the priority above all other things. And they declare before us and God that they are part of the family of God. We are in this together and they are a part of us. So here's how we're going to do it. In a minute, I'm going to pray to close the sermon. And Gary Louie uh, is going to come here and he's going to read their testimonies out loud so we can hear what God has done in Andy and Andrew's lives. And they've written these out. Gary's going to read them for us. And then as the band and choir uh, lead us all in worship, uh, they're going to be kind of leading the congregation in worship. But I'm going to have a moment with each of these guys. And I'm going to ask them two questions. The first one is, do you put your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that his work there is enough to bring you forgiveness of sins and new and eternal life? And the second question I'll ask them is, do you pledge your allegiance to Jesus as Lord, making him your first priority and striving to follow him in faithfulness for the rest of your life? And if they answer yes to these questions, I'll baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But you too have a part to play in this, which is why we've invited the older kids from Powerhouse to come and join us in this celebration. We have a part in this too. When one of these guys that comes up out of the water it's our job to mirror what's happening in heaven, which is a party is going on. There is a celebration in heaven when these two declare their faith in Jesus. So we're going to clap. We're going to cheer. We're going to make some noise, dance a jig in the aisle. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> but our part to play goes beyond that. They're initiated in the family of God through baptism. Then we have a responsibility to them. They are family. They are not alone in following Jesus, and we are in this together. And so we make that commitment to them today. Lastly, before I, I pray, let me say this. We've been talking about discipleship pathway, talking about taking steps to follow Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, whether you put your faith in him this morning or 20 years ago, and you've never been baptized, I can say emphatically that's your next step is to get baptized. And I don't say that to put pressure on you. I just, this, the, the pattern of the Bible goes like this. Read through the book of Acts. It says over and over again, they believed and they were baptized. They believed and they were baptized. They didn't wait. And so as, as the statement that you're seeing being made before you, I, I want to just encourage you. Maybe God is calling you to take that step today too. Don't put it off. Take that step of faith. And so we're actually going to have a special baptism service the Sunday after Easter, April 16th. 
And we'll have more information in the coming weeks about how you can get signed up to get baptized, how you can publicly pledge your allegiance in Jesus and make the commitment that you're a part of his family. And it's going to be an awesome celebration. I just want to encourage you. Listen to the Holy Spirit as you, as you think through that. Okay, that's a lot. A lot of moving pieces happening for the rest of the service, but let's just pray. God, as we think about your story, as we think about what you are up to, this big picture story that, that starts with you creating a powerful but loving creator, that your posture from the beginning has been love toward us and this world. And God, we, we confess that part of our part of that story is we have been a part of the problem. We have been a part of messing it up. The sin that is all over the world, the brokenness that is all over the world, we've contributed to that. We've played our part in that. But God, thank you that that was not the end of the story. Thank you that your love for us was, was greater than all our sin. And we thank you for Jesus, for his life, his death, his resurrection, that we might have life. Thank you that he's ruling over everything now. And thank you that what is to come is full reconciliation. All that is broken will be made whole. We pray with faith. God, we pray with faith to see that day someday. Help us, Lord, to get wrapped up in your story, to see our part in your story, to participate in the reconciling work that you're doing. That's what Discipleship Pathway is all about, God. Help us to see that and to say, I want to experience some of that now. I don't want to wait. Thank you for Andy and Andrew and the proclamation of faith that they are making today, that their story is wrapped up in your story. Thank you for the picture that we receive from Romans chapter 6 that says, All of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Lord, as they go under the water, we get this picture of, of burial. This morning they're proclaiming, Jesus, your death was for me. As they come up out of the water, it's a picture of resurrection. Jesus, your resurrection is for me. The old is gone, the new has come. What once was lost is found, what once was dead is alive. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We celebrate this in the mighty name of Jesus.